0: so you get the manatee snot rocket. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my Ross Safari. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast that decided to celebrate International Manatee Day with an actual episode about manatees, the Ross Safari podcast. That's right, y'all. For once, I'm actually going to be on brand with all those animal holidays that we hear about, and I am bringing you an episode from when I was down in Florida hanging out at the Moat Marine Lab with Hugh and Buffett, the two manatees that are in residence there. Now, the story of Hugh and Buffett is really cool, and they are really, really neat animals. Unfortunately, After over an hour of trying to interview them, I realized that Hugh and Buffett don't speak English. And I'm phrasing it that way on purpose, because as you're going to learn, they do have language, just not language that we can understand. So instead of talking to Hugh and Buffett, I'm going to introduce you to Amanda Foltz, the curator of mammals and reptiles at Moat Marine Laboratory, and Dr. Beth Brady, a postdoctoral research fellow at Moat. And these are some awesome and brilliant humans. But don't worry, Hugh and Buffett were also there for the entire interview. Because, you see, this interview takes place at the top of their incredible exhibit at Moat. Now, that leads to some good and some bad news about this episode. The good news is that you're going to get to learn about these manatees as they are there, and you're going to hear some interaction with them and just some really cool stuff about them that wouldn't have happened if we weren't at the exhibit. Also good news, if this is your kind of thing, you're going to hear me giggle a lot because I could not believe that I was hanging out with manatees. It was amazing. The bad news is that the audio quality up there was horrible. There are filtration systems, there's wind blowing, there's all kind of stuff. I was put through my paces as a producer on this one, y'all. I even needed to call in help. Uh, Thank you to Taylor Isaac Gray, the person that you hear singing on a lot of my stuff. and we, We collaborate on a lot of stuff. You've heard of Taylor. Uh, But he helped me EQ the interview to make it sound better. And then I also found some additional production tricks. And uh, I'm pretty pleased with where it's at. It's definitely not the best sounding interview that you're going to have heard on this podcast. But it does sound fine. And oh, man, is it worth it for the content? Did I mention that you're going to be meeting manatees? Because you're going to be meeting manatees. And the cool thing about this one is that we're not just meeting them, we are going deep. Amanda and Dr. Beth are both really, really smart and really good at communicating interesting facts about manatees. We're not just going to be talking the basics here. You're going to learn some basics about manatees, but you're also going to learn about some cutting-edge research that is being done right now, and in some cases, actually still being proposed to help us understand these animals even better than we already do. It's really cool. As a matter of fact, Dr. Beth and Amanda are so good in this episode that there's a couple minutes there where they kind of start interviewing each other, and I just sat there silently and let them, you know, do my job for me. It's pretty great. Oh, and speaking of the cool research that uh, they're looking at doing with these manatees right now, um, I have a kind of cool story that I wanted to share with y'all. So, you may remember learning about the Wild Animal Health Fund back in season one. This is an incredible organization that helps fund research into animals. It's it's really cool. If you haven't checked out that episode yet, please go back and do because it is really interesting, a really unique organization, and also features some really amazing guests. Anyway, so when I was talking to Dr. Beth about the research that she's looking to do right now, I asked if she had heard of the Wild Animal Health Fund, and she had not. And so I gave her some information and, uh, I believe the plan is that she's going to reach out and, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but it's just cool to be able to say that I maybe helped in that way. This, this podcast has been just a joy in a lot of ways. Um, but I think my favorite moments are always the ones where I realize, Hey, I might actually be having an impact for animals. Uh, and that was just another one of those cool moments that I wanted to share with y'all. Thanks for being here. And thanks for being part of this ride because, um, it's really special. Oh, and if you are here for the first time or you're new here or whatever, hey, welcome. And uh, please make sure that you hit the subscribe button. Also, make sure that you're following along at Raw Safari on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. Uh, and you can always go to rossafari.com for more information and patreon.com slash Rossafari if you would like to financially support the pod and get some cool bonuses because of your patronage. So, hey, here's a quick 45 second ad and then we'll get to it. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. All right, y'all, it's time. Without further ado, here is my interview with Hugh and Buffett, manatees at Moat. Oh, no, wait. I mean, here is my interview with Amanda Foltz and Dr. Beth Brady from Moat Marine Laboratory. All right, so let's start off. Tell me who you are.
1: Hi, my name is Amanda Foltz, and I'm the curator of mammals and reptiles here at Moat Aquarium.
0: Cool. And
2: who are you? I am Dr. Beth Brady, I'm a postdoctoral research fellow here
1: at Moat Marine Aquarium.
0: And what are we looking at today?
1: Oh, well today we're here with two awesome animals, Hugh and Buffett, our Florida manatees that live here at Moat Aquarium. Yes. And we are looking at their 70,000 gallon uh, freshwater exhibit.
0: It is gorgeous up here.
1: It is a little warm.
0: I, yeah, that's okay. That's Florida. <laughs> I did not know that uh, that this was open air down, down there. I did not realize that. That's really cool.
1: Yes, our guests can come and see them at their big underwater viewing windows. But uh, when you come to the above the exhibit area, unfortunately, guests cannot come up here to see them. But this is where we do all of our training. And if we're doing any behavioral research projects, that's what we're doing up here as well. Cool.
0: All right. So show me stuff.
1: Sure! Okay, well, I'm gonna go ahead and call over Hugh and Buffett just to give you a proper introduction. Sounds amazing. And just to let you know, one of the really neat things about Hugh and Buffett that makes them unique is that they um, were born and raised in human care. They were born at Miami Sea Aquarium, so they've never been in the wild. They've been here at Moat since 1996. Oh, wow! And not only do we have federal permits to have them here, we have special permits to be able to train them. Because they've never been in the wild, most of the other manatees in human care are rehab patients that hopefully will be released back into the wild. So part of their routine and their day-to-day here, one of the first things we do in the morning is we're doing food prep for these guys. And food prep consists of rinsing over 90 heads of romaine lettuce, 24 bunches of kale, And for their training food, we train them up to two times a day. We are going to be training them with summer squash, beets, carrots, and monkey biscuits.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Cool.
1: So, Hugh is the smaller animal on my left. Hugh is about 1,300 pounds. And Buffett is, do you have any guesses?
0: 17.
1: Yeah, close. He's 1,800 pounds. All right, about that? Uh, these guys are half-brothers, okay. actually, Very so cool. a Very big cool. size difference, but they have, you know, different uh, mothers. So you've got um, Buffett here, he's about 12 feet long, Hugh is about 10 feet long, and Hugh is going to be more of your average size of a manatee. Buffett's a little bit larger <laughs> there. Hugh is well known, not only for his size, but the scar on his right shoulder. A lot of people come and they expect that he was probably in the wild right. and probably got hit by a boat. But he's never been in the wild, and that's just a scar from an abscess he had many years ago before he came here and he had surgery for Gotcha.
0: Very
1: little. (laughs) So these animals are pretty impressive, not only by their size, but just by the way they look. They're very unique looking, and if you could guess what species they're related to, a land mammal, could you guess?
0: I mean, I would guess a cow.
1: Oh, a sea cow. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's it's a the really old expression. good guess. <laughs> yeah, so they're called sea cows because they're very large, slow-moving herbivores, thus the 90 heads of romaine a day. Uh, <laughs> however, they are closely related to elephants. Okay. You see that thick gray skin? Right, right. They also have prehensile lips that allow them to grasp those seagrasses and pull them off the bottom of the ocean floor as well as they'll reach up and grab some plants and stuff at the shore. And what about those toenails? They have these toenails on their front flippers. Oh wow! Thick toenails. These guys will be on the bottom of the ocean floor or the springs or wherever they're hanging out. And they walk along the bottom with those flippers so that helps to protect their flippers. They might also use their flippers to pull up some plants. Here's Buffett, you get the beats there buddy. Uh, The other cool thing about these guys is by their large size, you might think that they're really fat or have a thick layer of blubber.
0: Hey, we have no body shaming on this podcast. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) We don't discriminate that. (laughs) However, these guys are very um, dense, so mostly muscle.
0: Okay, that's awesome.
1: For that reason, they are Florida manatees, so they live in warmer weather environments subtropical and tropical waters and they're very cold sensitive so they are sensitive to any temperatures below 68 degrees so that is one of the issues that we see with manatees during our Colder times of year, right. uh, we get cold, stressed anim- um, manatees that end up in rehab facilities. It's kind of like getting hypothermic.
0: Okay, and is that is that basically the same thing that happens with sea turtles as well? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, yep.
1: cool. So, as we have them right here in front of us, some other physical adaptations they have. Look at how the hair is all over their body. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys. Uh, Navigate their environments not by their eyesight necessarily because their eyesight is like a legally blind person. You see their eyes Yeah, they're beady little eyes on the side <laughs> of their head um, They can see but it's not very well These hairs are called sensory hairs and they use them to detect what's around them the movement in the water oh, Wow, it's pretty neat as we know mammals have hair so you can see up close that these guys have hair
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: And if I can interject really quick some of the research that was done here to find out what these hairs are used for were done by and Buffett. And you guys did some excellent training. You have to train these animals to do these, these tests, right? You don't just put an animal in a tank and ask it to go find this or do that. So it involves a lot of extensive training to be able to figure out how these animals use these specific senses, including their hearing, their eyesight, and those of that Amanda was just talking about. Nice. Thank
1: you, Dr. Brady. And now that you brought up the training, I'll just give you kind of an overview of some of the training we do with them.
0: Yes, it is. You are upside down so (laughs) much.
1: So our training is not unlike training other animals in human care. It's really important to train animals for their mental and physical stimulation. And a lot of the training starts out with the basics of target training. So you'll see here that Buffett has a black square target Has a red, uh, sorry, not a red, a white circle target. And they have learned to come to their targets and stay with their nose on the target and separate from each other. So, of course, if you've got two animals, if you want to train one, you need to be able to separate them. Right, right. So, for some of these research projects, as uh, Dr. Brady had mentioned, um, this helps us accomplish that research. We can separate one animal from the other so they could do the research task and not be. interfered with. So with the hair studies that we've done to see how sensitive their hairs are, Hugh and Buffett have also been trained for different things like seeing what their hearing capabilities are, which is really important because we want to know if they are getting hit by boats because they can't hear in the frequency of the boat or can they not detect what direction the boat is coming from. So we've been able to train them tasks to participate and learn about their physiology. And the target training helps with that. Right. Some of the other cool research projects that have happened here with Hugh and Buffett have been uh, blood studies. So not only are they basic station trained with their targets, they are also trained for husbandry behaviors, which are their medical behaviors. So things like voluntary blood draws, have allowed us to be able to collect blood for researchers to study their immune system. Right, right. And, uh, <laughs> specifically, <AS. laughs> Sorry, we have Hugh climbing on the wall for some reason. We're keeping them occupied since we're here standing and talking about them. So good. So uh Dr. Moll, she's uh, been studying immunology of marine vertebrates here at moat for many many years and one of the things she's looking at studying is uh or she has been studying is how red tide affects the immune system of right. manatees so when we do our regular blood draws for these guys which is uh regulated we have to do that twice a year we take some extra blood so that she can look at their blood and use right. that to study their immune system
0: that's really cool
1: so some of the hearing stuff that we've done is really awesome and i think dr beth Brady could talk a little bit about some of their vocalizations and studies that she's done with other manatees as well as what we're looking to do with
0: Yeah, I'm so fascinated by that
2: Yeah, so a lot of the work that was done here was done in conjunction with New College of Florida that looked at the hearing range of manatees, and they found they have a rather extensive hearing range, similar to elephants. Both elephants and manatees can hear really well. So that led us to believe that vocalizations, which is what I study, is is quite important to animals uh, and manatees specifically. Um, So I've been studying manatee vocalizations for the past 12 years. So I study them in captivity and in the wild. And we found that manatees make... A lot of a few different types of vocalizations. They make about five different types of vocalizations, and they use their vocalizations when they're interacting with with conspecifics. So, some of the major questions that we're asking here is how do they use these calls when interacting with other animals, and how can we use Hugh and Buffett to determine if these calls are important to them? So, in the wild, it's a lot more. It's difficult to answer some of these questions. So having animals like Hugh and Buffett, they're ambassadors for their species. So we can do tests with them to see how this might relate to animals in the wild. So some of the uh, uh, tests we're going to be doing here is doing what we call playback experiments. We're playing sounds of other manatees to to Hugh and Buffett to see how they vocally and behaviorally respond. So that's something that's coming up in the not too distant future. We just did some of these playback experiments in Mexico with Antillean manatees. And we also have a group of colleagues in Brazil who also did this with a group of Antillean manatees there. So we're gonna be comparing across species to see if we can get similar results and see if they vary between species. Because we have Florida manatees here and Antillean manatees. We also want to know if it varies between gender. So do male manatees respond differently than female manatees do? So in Mexico, we did a group of female manatees to see how they vocally and behaviorally responded to sounds of Antillian manatees. We also used a couple of different call types. So we're going to do the same thing here and just see how it compares. But why are vocalizations important in general? So just as important for me, as I'm talking to you, if we weren't talking here, you probably wouldn't have a podcast, right? Yeah, that would be a problem, yes. (laughs) Right, so it's just as important to understand how manatees communicate with other animals and how our our human influences are impacting what they do. So boat noise is one, does it interfere with their communication? How does anything that we do interfere with their communication? So to do that, you have to understand the basics of how manatees communicate and what sounds they're using. So we're also going to be looking at some other different uh, ideas. We look at behavior-related vocalizations. We have some preliminary analysis on that. And we also look at vocalizations across different species. So I'm working with a bunch of different collaborators from Belize and Panama and Brazil and Mexico. So we're looking at vocalizations across different geographic locations and also Africa as well. So um, we're looking at their vocalization to see how do they compare across species. Are they different, are they the same? And we're finding some preliminary results. We're finding they're extremely similar to one another in structure, but they vary a little bit in frequency. And that could be to a bunch of different reasons. Uh, But yeah, those are the things that we're generally
0: looking into. That's really cool. How many species of manatees are there?
2: So we have the Amazonian manatee, you have the African manatee, and then you have the West Indian manatee species, which includes the Florida manatee and the Antillean manatee. Okay. And then you have the distant relative, which is the dugong, and that animal's over in the Indo-Pacific. I
0: was just going to ask about dugongs. That was my next question. I, uh, I just did an interview with a, uh, an Australian keeper recently, oh. and we've become good friends, and they have dugongs at the zoo that she's at, uh-huh. and she was FaceTiming me with some dugongs, and I just did not know those existed. Yes. and it was it was very cool to see so they are like a distant relic. Yes. not yes. okay
2: they're um they're fascinating animals to distinguish them from manatees they have a more downward facing snout and their tail is shaped more like a dolphin as right. opposed to the which florida is, manatees who have a paddle
0: which is crazy to see yeah, yeah and there's yeah.
2: some really interesting research being done with them so Interesting. most interesting thing to me about dugongs is they feed at the bottom of their water column. Since their snout is so downward facing, they can only feed on the bottom of the water column. Manatees can feed anywhere in the water column, bottom, middle, and top. So when dugongs eat, they tend to pull out all of their food, and including by the root. So there's been work then done by Ahmed Shaki over in Egypt, and he actually looks at the width of the feeding trails. So mm-hmm. they'll leave feeding trails, so you'll know where a dugong's been. Oh, and if wow. you look at the width of these feeding trails, you can approximately tell the size of the dugong that's been feeding there. So a smaller width trail would be more like a, a calf or a younger oh, animal. Sure. And a larger trail would be an
0: adult. That is fascinating. And the stellar sea
1: cow, which is now extinct, uh-huh. if you, I mean. Buffet here looks big, but they got to be up to 30 feet long and over 8,000 pounds. They were yeah. very, very big animals.
2: They were in the Arctic, and in, in the colder regions were the only species that was in that location. So all the other animals we've been talking about are more tropical-based, right. where the stellar sea cow is more up in colder regions, which is fascinating. Unfortunately, due to human influences, that's why they went extinct. Shocker. <laughs> I am shocked. <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: I'll I'll tell you, one of the hardest things about this podcast is uh, the more I learn, the less I like our species. (laughs) I do like all of the amazing people in our species that are working to help and save animals, including y'all, so thank you for that. But, I mean, it's a real struggle. I feel like every time I learn about a new species, even if it's not the number one threat, we creep in at number two or three every time. And it's, it's really unfortunate. But... That's why education matters. So, you know, that's what we're all trying to do here. Absolutely.
2: So the more we can learn about these animals, the more we can learn about how to lessen our individual impact on these
0: animals themselves and what we can do to circumvent that. So I know that currently there is, um, not to be, you know, stick with being a downer, but I know that in the wild right now, I mean, not only are manatees in trouble in general, but this year in particular there have been mortalities uh, at a rate not ever seen before, if I understand correctly. And we don't really know why, but can y'all tell me about that or shed any insight or what work is being done to try to figure it out?
2: Well, we do know why actually. It's it's from fertilizer runoff and promoting these nitrogen and I believe it's phosphorus that's creating these algal blooms that are shading out and killing the seagrasses, which is the manatee's food source. So a lot of the animals that they're finding over in the Indian River Lagoon are emaciated and are starving. And there's a lot of talks um, about what we're going to do this upcoming winter, because unfortunately, the seagrass won't have enough time to replenish itself to support the population that's coming down this winter. So we are actively working on that. We just proposed an idea not too long ago of a way to monitor the population, and we'll hopefully... Uh, that goes through, but um, yeah, that's something that we're all going to be working on here at Moat, as well as multiple different agencies, including U.S. Fish and Wildlife, all the agencies that are, are USGS, um, Clearwater Marine Aquarium, we're all kind of working together to see how we can help the animals this
0: upcoming season. Right. While that definitely sucks, it's really cool to know that y'all have like, figured out what's going on, because I've been following that with my Zoo News episodes, mm-hmm. and um, the last articles I had read about it still said, we're not really sure what's going on. So like to me, that That gives me a lot of hope that, Mm -hmm. all right, now we figured it out. Now we're coming up with a plan. Now we're proposing stuff that's, while the situation sucks, that's really cool. You know, it's awesome to see the science in action.
2: So hopefully what we're learning and what we should learn this upcoming season will help us make more informed decisions about how to better manage the population. There's also talks about putting the manatee back on the endangered species list, which might also help engage and get more money for the protection of these animals, which is desperately needed. Yeah. Particularly to improve their habitat, which is the main problem.
1: And, of course, right now with a lot of the animals out there that are starving, re- rehabilitation space is very limited. Right. So finding space for these animals to be able to care for them is, is critical.
0: I, I spend a lot of time up at Cincinnati Zoo and the Columbus Zoo, and I, I was shocked that they rehab manatees. It makes no sense until I guess it's because there's such limited space that it makes sense to transport some yes. all the way up to ohio you know to take care uh, of that situation
2: i believe there's two facilities in ohio correct the columbus and cincinnati Zoo yep. mm-hmm. that do a lot of work there's there's multiple facilities around the state of florida that actually do a lot of the uh rehabilitative work and clearwater marine aquarium does a great job afterwards monitoring the populations of the animals uh, that have been released post-care particularly orphan cats.
0: what are you guys what are you finding when you um when you When you release animals, how are they doing? I, mean, I, I know they're going back into a tough situation, but beyond that, are, do they seem to be doing well and it, you know functioning well?: It's really
2: hard to say since I'm not the one monitoring right. fair, those fair. animals and, and clearwater marine aquarium, and those scientists can probably give you a better idea of that. but from what I've read, the younger calves that have been orphaned very, at a young age tend to have a more difficult time than animals who were, uh, had, got to spend some time with their, with their moms before they were
0: orphaned. That makes sense. Manatees are really charismatic. People mm-hmm. just seem to love them. But that also leads to some problems because then people want to interact with them. I mean, if y'all said I could give uh, one of these guys a hug right now, I wouldn't say no. And I know that's not a good idea, <laughs> but like, let's be real here. So, um, what would you say to people that are are out on the water and and see a manatee, how can you respectfully enjoy it without causing issues?
1: I mean, I I think it goes without saying, uh, a lot of people are very interested in a lot of different wildlife types, but manatees are just, like you said, charismatic, large, very impressive, they're slow-moving and docile, so they seem very approachable, and they will come near shore where people might be swimming and whatnot, but... Like any other wildlife, keep your distance and enjoy them from a distance because we want to keep our wildlife wild. So interacting with these guys can teach them behaviors that aren't very conducive to their survival. So teaching a manatee that humans are good and to come close to humans can put them in unsafe situations. Like we had talked about earlier, boat collisions are one of the larger issues that we have seen with manatees Um, coming up and around boat docks and whatnot. Some people have fed them fresh water off their docks, encouraging them to come around and that can just be unsafe. Yeah, in addition
2: to that there's always this thought that you can touch a manatee. You should never be touching any animal in the wild. And there was some uh, when. Manatees will sometimes form mating herds that tend to be close to the shoreline. And there has been some images in the press as of not too long ago where people got in the water, tried to take pictures with them. And these are rather large animals, as you can see, and if they're rolling around trying to get access to the female, if you get caught in that, you could potentially get injured. And not only, they're trying to make more little manatee babies. We need more of those right now. So you don't want to interfere with the natural process. So touching them, like like Amanda said, leave them alone and let them be manatee. Do not habituate them to human presence by any way, shape, or form. Do not touch them. Try to give them their space.
1: Uh, They are a protected species as well. It is illegal to touch them harass them interfere with them so something to keep in mind that some people are not aware of right and while well, you said you can't hog human buffett no but they are a little bit different because we have permits they have been in human care their entire lives they are used to us so touching these animals is part of the relationship building too it allows us to condition them for their physical exams and some of the other husbandry training we do so that is something that we do with them while they're here with us right so, of course
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense Um, Now, I I have a question, and I I want to say that it's Hugh, but correct me if I'm wrong, but um, we have a a bona fide nose booper in this pool, right? So, so tell my listeners who don't know what the heck I'm talking about, sure. what I'm talking about. So
1: you had a 50% chance of getting that correct. And <laughs> unfortunately, it is Buffett <laughs> that is famous for his nose okay, fair, fair. on the window. So he will get in. Oh, he, they have four feeds a day. We provide them with probably about six hours of grazing time in addition to their training sessions. So for the most part of their day, they're actively grazing or interacting with us and learning. but. Outside of that, they have their own habits, just like any individual do- does. Hugh is our more active animal. He's smaller. That might. He's more lean, he is constantly swimming, and he'll utilize his whole exhibit, swim back and forth and do some twists and twirls as he's swimming. That is what Hugh is known for. While Buffett, he's a little bit slower moving, and he'll kind of float through the water column and stick mainly in the deep end, but he'll go back and forth between here and the deep, and in order to stop, they don't have brakes. He just uses his face to smush into the window as his brakes and then turns around and comes back and does his <laughs> loop again.
0: And their their faces smush. Like, they, they yeah, really smush. Yeah. So uh,
1: let, me, let me see if Hugh will show you his face again here. And I will let you go ahead and put... So we're going to go ahead and give him that piece of lettuce. And they've got a good amount of padding here. Yeah. They're prehensile lips.
0: There. I don't think I've ever heard the term prehensile lips for normally it's a a tail or a trunk right Right? yeah 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 that's really interesting so they
1: can move these interchangeably (laughs) to pull those sea grasses
0: that's so cool and
1: plant so yes they have very distinct personalities and when it comes to their care and train of course their behavior as i just said but even their training buffett tends to be more of a good student when it comes to research training while Q is our star husbandry training animal. So that's a lot of fun because with training, you have to be able to adapt to the individual animal and work through things. Um, Some of the other things that we do to care for them with their husbandry training, really important is to be able to weigh a manatee. Have you any guess of how we would weigh a manatee?
0: I do, I have no idea.
1: So you might be able to see over there, there is a very large hoist. It's a two ton hoist. And that big blue thing over there is a manatee stretcher. Nice. So nice. I'm, or a marine mammal stretcher it was made specifically for our manatees so we lower our stretcher into the water with that hoist and then we use that target training right. to slowly call them into that stretcher so Hugh loves to get into a stretcher you can lift him out of the water to weigh him and then very next day call him in and he'll go in Buffett on the other hand he wants nothing to do with it so it's a much slower process right. coaxing him in there and that's why we have to be creative with their training food and what we're rewarding them with. So Buffett's rewards are a little bit better than Hugh's.
0: Fair, fair. So what is the highest training reward? What is the chicken tikka masala of my life for for each manatee? <laughs> That's
1: a good question. <laughs> you know, over the years that Hugh and Buffett have been here, they have trialed out many different types of foods, including fruits and vegetables and whatnot, to see what our special manatees palates really desire and really uh, what it's come down to is monkey biscuits. All right. Monkey biscuits, that nice crunchy protein. They like it a lot more than some other things. Hey, whatever works, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) But, you know, it is really important. Nutrition is important. We can't feed them the 60 different types of seagrasses that they have in the wild. But we have done nutritional analyses and we're constantly evaluating their diets. So, the funny thing has been recently trying to reintroduce some different types of greens greens into their diet and these guys are pretty picky <laughs> they're they used to what they're used to so <laughs> it can be a slow process of introducing new things much like you know your kid at home when you're trying to get them to eat their vegetables they are, they are herbivores but they're very particular to what they like makes sense
0: awesome so tell me a little bit about their uh, their enrichment
1: Oh, well, all of our animals have a really cool enrichment um, schedule. We actually have randomized schedules so that they get something different every single day. Nice. And for our manatee enrichment devices, or EEDs, (laughs) they have to be very large and durable. So a lot of them are made out of these things that you see are PVC, very thick PVC piping, Uh very durable. Um, but we are able to give them enrichment that they can interact with. We hope to encourage natural behaviors, scratching themselves on things, and uh, foraging devices are really big for all of our animals because, of course, animals in the wild are foraging a a large part of the day. So, sure, we could just toss their food in there, but if we can put that food in these devices where they have to think and work to get them out, that keeps them mentally stimulated.
0: That's awesome. Very cool. And then tell me about the life support system here. I always find that so fascinating at aquariums, yes. so much. So
1: uh, 70,000 gallons exhibit, And we have two manatees that produce a lot of waste. And a lot
0: of flatulence. We've established (laughs) that. (laughs)
1: So uh, we have a well that we are able to get well water, and we actually treat that with ozone. Okay. So ozone is our disinfection method here, which is great. And we are using sand filtration. That's our mechanical filtration, much like you would be cleaning your swimming pools at home. Right. And then something else to consider for animal exhibits is you want to maintain that temperature. So we have many heaters and chillers to maintain our temperature at a constant 80 degrees nice. year-round.
0: Very, very cool. Very interesting. Manatees in general, while we're talking about the, the quality of water, um, salt water, fresh water, both? You know,
1: um, other facilities, it, they... Primarily freshwater, but they can be kept in saltwater. Of course, they are living in the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, the Gulf of Mexico. They find their ways to the springs, the freshwater springs, during the winter because it's warmer. And so they can live in both, but we have them in freshwater. Right,
0: right. Okay, but am am I correct in saying that it's pretty rare for an animal to be able to live in both?
1: Yeah, I, yep. thought, I thought so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially right. when you're thinking about fish. There are a few fish species that can live in both. Um, brackish water is a mixture of fresh and salt, right. so some animals can, can do that, but fully marine animals, correct.
0: Interesting. Very cool. So tell me, doctor, yes. why, manatees? why manatees? Why manatees? Why manatees?
2: Well... There's a very small group of Sirenian researchers, and we're like a really small concentrated group, which really makes it nice when you want to collaborate. And I've always found them fascinating, and uh, there are many researchers who study cetaceans, and I just wanted to do something just a little bit different, and I fell in love with these guys and just never left. (laughs) Nice.
0: That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, you're looking at your watch. Do we need to move on? No, I was just...
1: Oh no, I'm, I'm fine. like, trying to find shade for it. Gotcha. I'm, I'm good. No, I'm not worried about like a that. Shade.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't worry about it. I mean... It's time for Interrupting. Interrupting 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 John. Mm. Okay, so I normally cut moments like that out of my podcast. However, I had to be honest with you all. I have mentioned on other episodes that I am really bad at remembering sunscreen. Oh, y'all, I'm really bad at remembering sunscreen. I'm actually proud of the fact that in my entire seven weeks in Florida, I only got two sunburns. Both times were when I was outside without realizing that I would be, so I forgot to put on sunscreen. This was 100% one of those times. It was totally worth it. The manatees were incredible. And as you heard, everyone here was trying to look out for me. But, um, well... Yeah, that happened. Uh, I got some sun, y'all, and it was totally worth it. Okay, back to the interview.
1: I um, I happened into wanting to work with manatees. I actually grew up wanting to work with animals in some capacity Mm -hmm. in a zoo and aquarium field. And I kind of found myself directing towards dolphins, marine mammals. And I'm from Hawaii. Okay. Actually, probably never even really realized that we had manatees. And uh, as I was going to school and studying to become a marine mammal trainer and get into the field, I was able to go to a conference and they presented on the research training that we did here at Moat with Hugh and Buffett. And I was astounded by the fact that we can apply just regular training to be able to learn about the animals. And I applied for an internship. This was my very first internship. Nice. And the rest is history. Well, I did get hired working with dolphins. I have found myself now a, a curator of mammals and reptiles, and all of the animal programs are integrated, so we work with all of the animals. That's so
0: awesome.
1: I think it's fascinating, I actually want to
2: ask Amanda, we're actually going to do some cognition studies in the not-too-distant future on these animals, but what have you found with how smart or how do you think how intelligent these manatees are, particularly when you're doing your training?
1: Sure, I would say that intelligence is a very hard thing to measure, but they're very capable of learning, and one of the things that I have found most impressive is you cannot ask a specific behavior for months and then ask it months later and they know exactly what you're asking. Wow. That's amazing. Yes. How long has that
2: been? Like, how long did you have between here? What's the longest period of time?
1: In my experience, you know, six months or more. Wow. So that's impressive. And manatees are thought to have really
2: excellent memories, right? So how do they remember to go? Where are their warm water refuges? Where's their food source? How do they remember all that? And that gives us a general indication that they do have really phenomenal memories.
0: That's really cool. I think, in general, the general public thinks, like, bigger animals are stupid. Like, huh. I hear that a lot. I hear that with cows. I hear that with everything. And and they're not. They're, they're just not. And just because humans are big and pretty stupid overall doesn't mean
2: <laughs> Well, the interesting thing is that's what was thought. If you look at a manatee brain, it's smooth right? Other animals have gyres and sulcuses in their brain, which are usually associated with with higher intelligence. But what we're finding is manatees have these phenomenal memories. And I think if we test their cognition a little bit, we'd be interested in finding out. They're probably a lot more intelligent than we give them
1: credit for.
0: That's really cool. (laughs) Awesome. So favorite fact about a manatee that we haven't talked about yet?
1: They can use their flatulence to control their buoyancy. go on (laughs) so they are herbivores so they produce a lot of gas and it's funny because as an animal husbandry person we are noting anything abnormal for these guys anything different but one of the things we want to see them producing is gas every day throughout the day because if there's no gas there could be an issue with their digestion amazing (laughs) birding is good uh so yeah My favorite fact
2: about a manatee is we always tend to think they're uh, complete herbivores, but they will opportunistically eat barnacles, tunicates, and sometimes, I've been told by Key West fishermen, they'll eat fish. fish Oh, wow.
1: I saw a video of that. It was very impressive. And yes. it made me want to ask our vet if we can give them fishes as enrichment, But that's probably not good for the fish in their exhibit. You <laughs> right. don't want to encourage right. them to yeah, eat right. fish eat the, at
2: this point. Eat the fish and they'll learn to stalk the fish. We're yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you gave me a taste for something good.
0: That's really fun. So for manatee conservation, if somebody's listening to this and they want to help out, how can they help out? How can they help moat? What else is out there that they can do to help with the, the situation? You know, tell me things.
1: You know, Dr. Beth Brady touched on the fact that there are so many different organizations that are working together towards manatee conservation. And if you were to look up Manatee Rescue and Rehab Partnership, that'll list out all the facilities that participate in manatee rehabilitation. And there are ways to donate there. And I think that's a really great way to contribute funds to help us do the work and do the research, support the rehab, and learn about how we can better conserve their environments as well. Awesome.
2: I think part of the problem also with this year is the fertilizer runoff. So you can find some that's killing off some of the seagrasses. If you can reduce your impact, uh, they also think there may be some leaky septic tanks that are pushing some of that outflow into the Indian River Lagoon. So if you can check your septic tank systems, reduce your use of fertilizer, all those things that you can do to help limit your impact on the manatees and on their food source in particular.
0: Very cool. It's time now, don't you know, we come to the end of the show, but there's one tale left to go, you're gonna laugh and say oh no, it's time for the safari Poop Story. Hit me.
1: Okay, so um, I started out after my undergraduate degree. I went to Moore Park's exotic animal training and management program. Nice, okay, and cool. And part of that program, we shadowed the L.A. Zoo uh-huh. and the keepers on their strings and helped do the cleaning. And um, I was assigned to the string with the lions. And the keeper very easily explained to me how to scoop up the poop and then hose it all down, scrub it down. And she left me to my own devices to work independently, which was great. Well, apparently, I didn't scoop up enough of the poop before I host. So the drain got clogged with all this lion poop. And I'm sure you have been in lion enclosures yep. or large cat enclosures. Yep. Yep. It's probably the worst smell, even more than the otters that I work with. <laughs> um, so I, of course, didn't want to get in trouble. And I wanted to make sure I did a good job. And I look around, there's really nothing to scoop this poop out with. And I found a broken glove and maybe a, an old icy cup. So <laughs> I was able to um tear that to make it a shorter cup, and I reached in with my hands and I scooped out all the poop that I could. Of course it's all over my hands, so that I could hose it down and the drain was clear, and nobody knew anything. So I
0: went. <laughs> amazing.
1: I have a short
2: story and a long story. Great. So most people don't know manatees will eat their own feces. Huh. So sometimes when you work with captive manatees, you get a manatee and you want to pet it, it has poop on its face. So that's, that's not fun. That is every fun. day for us. Right, there you go. <laughs> and the other one is sometimes manatees will eat plant material and it will shoot out of their nose. So you get the manatee snot rocket. And one time that happened, it splatted on me and it scared the crap out of me because I was like, where is that coming from? And that was, yeah, my manatee story to be hit by a manatee snot rocket. A plant rocket.
1: We also have that, too. Hugh is the one that's known for doing that. She let us out of his nose. But touching on the um, the fecal eating, uh, just the other day we had an intern, and not something that you think about telling them at the beginning of their internship, but she was very urgent over the radio and asked us to come and check. And so we came out, and she just wanted to inform us that he might be vomiting. Oh, no. no. But, oh, no, no. That's... that's he is... <laughs> Eating his poop, he's reabsorbing those nutrients that <laughs> maybe yeah. still in the poop.
0: Lovely. Nature is uh, <clears throat> icky sometimes. Can be Cool. Anything else that either of you would like to hit before we uh, we call this?
1: I think I've touched on everything I think else. I got everything
2: too. Do the best that you can to protect the manatees. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah. I hope you, you find guys. them as
1: cool as we do. Oh, now that you've come to know them. Y'all have
0: and- no idea how excited <laughs> I've been to do this. That's you have awesome. no idea. I've been bragging to everyone. That so, is awesome. Thank you both very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It. Thanks thank for coming too. to visit. <laughs> Ah, yeah, y'all it was so cool getting to hang out with manatees and give them some beats and feel their prehensile lips you know this was one of those species like with walruses and dolphins and stuff that i was just like i don't, I don't know if i'll ever actually get to hang out with them and th- then i did and it was amazing i am so incredibly thankful to amanda and dr beth for making that happen And I'm also incredibly thankful to Stephanie Kettle, the uh, public relations manager at Moat, who helped set all of this up. And I also have a pretty cool, pretty funny story about Stephanie and manatees and podcasts that I want to share with y'all. So it is pretty well established at this point that I am a huge nerd. And part of being a huge nerd for me means recently discovering and embracing and watching every episode of... Avatar, The Last Airbender, and the sequel series, The Legend of Korra. Okay, as a quick side note, the whole reason that I decided to watch these shows— I mean, I've heard they were great forever, whatever— but is that I learned about Pabu, the fire ferret in The Legend of Korra. For those of you that don't know these shows— um they're cool. They're amazing. They're really interesting. And one of the the little aspects of the show that makes it unique is that most of the animals in the series, in both series, are actually hybrids of two animals mashed together. Pabu, being a fire ferret, is a mashup of a red panda and a ferret. And oh my word, it is the greatest thing ever. Anyway, I tell you that to tell you this. I recently started listening to Avatar, Braving the Elements, the official Avatar podcast available wherever you listen to awesome podcasts like Raw Safari. And it is um, two people who were in Avatar and Legend of Korra who host a show that's a weekly recap as well as just kind of extra interviews about all kinds of cool stuff. And they were talking about the hybrid animals and they talked about something called a sky bison and realized that the sky bison was a hybrid animal of a bison and a manatee, something I had not realized. The hosts, upon realizing this, started basically pointing out that they really don't know anything about manatees. It was entertaining how little they knew. So all of that happened in, I want to say, the first episode of the podcast. And um, as I was leaving Florida, I was in a hotel room in Jacksonville, and I was listening to episode four of that podcast when they said, hey, somebody named Stephanie Kettle reached out to us. And I was like, wait a minute, I know I know that name. This is weird, but I, how do I know that name? They said, and she is the public relations manager at Moat Marine Lab. And I was like, "Ah, Stephanie, this is amazing. And Stephanie had written to the hosts of that podcast to inform them a little bit about manatees and also to invite them to meet Hugh and Buffett. And yes, they actually said Hugh and Buffett's names on that podcast. I was so excited. I lost my mind. I also texted Stephanie immediately, and she had not heard it yet and this was this was very exciting for everyone anyway. I just thought that was a really cool story of my world's intersecting and just how small the world really is sometimes so uh anyway, you can check out moat Marine Lab. they're at Moat Marine Lab on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook, you know all that good stuff, and uh their website is moat.org. Also want to drop in a quick shout-out to say thank you to my Red Panda-level patrons, Lara Shank and PJ Bevan. All right, y'all. Now, at this point, I would normally say something about the fact that the word credits backwards is styderk, but instead, I want to point out that this... Is the end of the episode. Oh, the humanity! The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Ross Safari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.